if you will, uh, we're going to turn to our core verse of Scripture for this series, Exodus chapter 6. We'll also read uh, from 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to begin by reading the English Standard Version. Um, but before, I do, before you put that up there, I, I want to say really quickly, I, I want to honor one of our Triumph Church members. Uh, this past Monday, uh, there's a massive event, a uh, very important event on, uh, uh, in celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. Day that's put on at the Port Arthur Civic Center. And I had the opportunity to go this year and be a part of the program, and I got to pray. It was a wonderful day, a huge honor for me. The place was packed out. I don't know how many were there, but I know that uh, th- there were tables from the front all the way to the back, wall to wall, and they were, they were all full. It was a, it was a great event. And uh, so as I'm sitting there waiting on my turn to go up, they decided to give, uh, well, they didn't decide. Every year they give an award to a man of the year and a woman of the year, uh, that do a lot of great things throughout the community and, and, and help. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge award, and one of our members won it this year. And uh, her name is Carolyn Thibodeau, and I want to put a picture of us up there if you have it. Uh, many of you know her. She is actually the librarian at the Port Arthur uh, Library. Do we have that picture, guys? I, I sent it to you. You said you had it. Here it is. And so there she is. She had no idea she was going to win it. Uh, she was actually the one that uh, that invited me to come be a part of the program, and, and she got me all set up, and then she went, and she's sitting in the back just enjoying the day, and next thing you know, they're calling her name, and uh, man, it was such a great moment. She, she was speechless, which if you know her, know her is a rare thing, but she was definitely speechless, and I, and I just wanted to say how proud of her I, I am because... Uh, she actually uh, is mostly in the Nederland campus, though she goes uh, all over. Just been with us for many, many years. Huge award, a woman of the year uh, for Southeast Texas. Very, very, very cool thing. So if you know her, make sure you congratulate her. <laughs> Grab your Bibles with me, if you will. And, uh, you know, if you've been fasting with us, you're on the one-week countdown. You can make it. You can make it just a few more vegetable plates and you're going to get there. Uh, I had lunch with my dad on Thursday. We had a business meeting in Sugarland, And as we're sitting there uh, around the table and the, the restaurant we were going to, we, we ran out of time. So we ended up at this little Mexican restaurant right down the road from the Sugarland campus. And as we're one after the order, one after the other ordering cheese enchiladas, we're like, I'll take what she had. The guy's like, everybody wants cheese enchiladas? But... Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, Dad's like, Brandon, I've decided that I am never doing another 21-day Daniel's fast again in my life. I've done enough in my ministry in my lifetime, and I am so sick to death of being hungry all the time and eating cheese and beans. I am just done. We're going to do something else if it kills me. So for those of you that are hating life right now, good news. Your bishop said no more. No, he's never doing another one again, so we'll have to come up with something new next year. (laughs) All right, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Uh, if you haven't gotten on board with us, there's one week. Uh, there's one more week. Get, you can do this. One more week. We all get to celebrate uh, next week. We'll break our fast together right after church. And uh, it's going to be a good times. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> uh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Um, I, I believe I'm hearing tell that 
we're, we're raising some money for Women of Destiny, which is an opportunity that we have to send some, some ladies that are in, um, in, in difficult times in their life. We're able to send them to our women's conference and buy them all kind of clothes and uh, jewelry, and it's a wonderful thing. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, next week we'll actually be breaking our fast. Am I right on this? Uh, we'll be breaking our fast and selling barbecue dinners. The Charles are cooking barbecue. So if you want to break it right... I just got really hungry. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is our core scripture that uh, we're looking at as we talk about the four cups of the Passover. And each cup represents a promise made right here in these verses. The four I will statements that God made to the children of Israel. And, and they not only were they to the Israelites while they were in slavery. But upon them, you see uh, uh, the foundation of everything Jesus did for us as he was our Passover lamb. Now, I want to skip over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's read a few verses here. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Listen to this. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, note here, if these qualities are yours, but if they're increasing, we see, uh, and we'll talk about this later in the sermon, but we see a process here, a continual process. It's not a destination, but it is a journey that we go on as Christians, as believers. If they're yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I want to pray today over our service, over our time together. And I want to continue, and I, I want to talk to you about I, I, we're actually going to go to the third cup today. Normally, I, I, or I should have gone to the second cup, but I'm going to go to the third cup, and I'll tell you why later. Next week, we'll go backwards to cup two. So stay with me. If you're saying, well, we, only, we did one last week. Did I miss a Sunday in there? You didn't miss a Sunday. That's coming up next week. If you're watching online, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for tuning in, and, uh, and I hope that you are experiencing God. And I want you to get still and quiet and ready to receive because I truly believe that God wants to speak right into your life today. Why don't we pray together? Father, I thank you for the great opportunity that we have to come together and to worship you, to lift up your name, to glorify you, to be in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
In our first part of this series, we talked about the promises of God and how He has these great promises that are unchangeable. But we have to know the promises. We have to understand the promises. And we have to pursue the promises if we want to receive them and and experience them in our life. And at the basis of all these promises are these four core promises that God has made to us as His people. Last week, we talked about the first one. We find it in the first cup. Remember, we went through the the Passover meal. We talked about how there were, even though when we take uh, communion together, which we will do at the end of the service today, just as we did last week, we only take one cup. Actually, today's sermon will be the actual cup that that we read about in Matthew 26 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 it's it's that cup and we're we're going to so we're going to specifically be drinking that cup today but there were four cups and the first cup is called the cup of sanctification it's the cup that we talked about last week the cup of sanctification is about salvation when you drink of the cup of salvation God says I will bring you out Remember that sin wants to enslave you. The enemy wants to enslave you. He wants to to control you. That's his desire. Uh, And then secondly, sin wants to make you feel empty without potential. Uh, And thirdly, sin wants to exhaust you. So you just give up fighting. You don't have enough energy left to fight because you're just exhausted. And this is what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to enslave you. He wants to make you feel empty. And he wants to exhaust you. That's one of his his strategies against us. But when we drink of the cup of salvation, uh, it, it breaks the back of sin in our life. So Moses was sent in to deliver the people. And cup number one, it's about I will bring you out. Cup number two, and again we'll talk about this one next week, is where he says, I will deliver you. Cup number two is, a, is the cup of deliverance, and this cup is about freedom. It's about freedom. Cup number three is the one we're going to talk about today. Cup number three is, uh, is the cup of redemption. It's the cup of redemption, and, uh, and it's a powerful cup. This cup is about uh, restoration. The cup of redemption is about restoration. <clears throat> Remember last week I talked to you how there are 14 different parts to when they sit down to eat the Passover meal together. There are 14 different things that they do, different parts. Each of them has a a different Hebrew name. Uh, The name uh, that we're going to be talking about today is the 12th part. It's called Berek, uh, and it's, it's the cup of redemption. Essentially, this happens right after they would eat this main meal, this celebratory meal together. They would eat the meal, and then after the meal, they do something interesting in the Jewish culture and tradition than we do. Uh, How many of you, before you sit down to eat dinner with your family, you say a prayer over the food? Okay, most of us do. Uh, That's our tradition, that we bless the food before we eat it. But in the Jewish tradition... They say grace or they uh, say a blessing after the meal. So part 12, the barak, is a, it's a, they would pour the third cup of wine and then they would say grace. Some interesting things to note here. At this portion of the, uh, of the meal, in, in this section of what they're doing, they would always set one uh, place setting at the table 
but no one sits there and eats. They just leave a chair and a plate and forks and knives and uh, all the utensils. They leave it there and they leave the door open so that if you're walking by, you can see right into people's houses. You say, well, you know, what is that all about? Well, it's about a couple of things. Uh, First of all, uh, as they went through history, uh, a lot of people said of the Jews and all these customs that they had that they were weird and weird stuff was happening in there. And so they wanted to leave the door open so that if you walk by, you could see, well, they're just having dinner. They're not doing crazy things in there. But, But where it began was the Bible teaches and the Torah taught them that before the, and the prophet said that before uh, before the Messiah returned, that Elijah would come again. Remember, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. So the prophecy was that Elijah would come and announce the coming of the Messiah. So they left the door open and they left a place setting, literally. So that Elijah, praying that Elijah would walk through the door and sit down, which would then announce the coming of Christ. Now, as you study the New Testament, remember we talk about, uh, you you learn about John the Baptist, who said, uh, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was the spirit of Elijah. Even Jesus talked about this for him. And so uh, what traditional Jews are waiting for is Elijah to come. But what Jesus said and what the Bible teaches is that Elijah already came, but he came as John the Baptist. It was that same spirit, not necessarily Elijah reincarnated, but he came as John the Baptist to announce the way for Jesus. So there's no reason to leave a table setting open because Elijah came and the Messiah came and we're not waiting anymore. Are you with me? So they would sit down and they would eat and then they would say a blessing. They would say grace is what, it, is what they would literally do. They would say grace. When you, when you pray over the food and someone says, can you say grace? This is where it comes from. It was a specific, a long prayer uh, with, with a numerous blessings in it. Uh, and it was, they were literally uh, saying a, a blessing and a, a grace, thanking God for grace. It's a powerful time. And then they would drink the cup. They would drink this third cup, the cup of redemption. So if we want to understand this cup, if we want to understand what it means, the first thing we ought to know is what is redemption? I know it's a, it's a church word, you know, and you've, maybe if you've been in church all your life like I have, and you know, people say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord shout amen. amen. Okay, <laughs> stay with me now. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just like, well, you know, what, what, but what is redeemed? Well, if you go back and you, and you study the definition of the word redeem or redemption, it's not just a, a, a church word. But it's a very important word that we can trace all the way back through history from the Greeks all the way to the Hebrews. Uh, and it has, it has several meanings. First of all, to redeem means to buy back. It means to buy back. Uh, to cash in the value of something in order to receive something else. Redeem it. Maybe uh, if you're like me, uh, Lindsay and I have a, a credit card or a, a check card, and every time we spend money with that card, we get points. And then whenever we're ready, we can take those points and we can redeem them for something else. 
Uh, I, I'm going to preach at our new church in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. here in a couple of weeks, February the 8th, and, and I'll be up there. And to get there, I bought a plane ticket with the points that we had earned. So I redeemed my points to buy something else. So you've got to get a picture of what redeemed is. In the Old Testament, it was a term used, uh, it was a commercial term that, that was where they would buy a slave, a, a man would buy a slave and, and bring him out of slavery. So he would pay off his slavery and make him a free person. But it also was uh, a term that, that might reflect a family relationship. It could even have a broader scope. And it was the idea of uh, redeeming a relative or property that might have belonged to you or used to belong to your family. And, and it would be bought back from an alien possessor. So I want you to get a picture of this. You, it often involved an inheritance. And, and this gives us a little more scope of what God is doing. The enemy came in, and because of sin, he's trying to possess you. Remember, it's slavery, right? And, and so he's trying to possess you, and he's trying to possess your things. But God says, I'm redeeming you. I'm buying you back, and I'm bringing you back into the family, and I'm going to give you your inheritance back. I'm going to give you your place back. And so this is the term that God chose to use as He redeems us. Uh, it includes the re even the release of a person from a situation of deep distress. So if you're going through a, a time in your life and you're just, there's a lot of distress, you're troubled, you're worried, listen, God wants to redeem you from that. It's not just about redeeming us from sin, which is great. He wants to redeem you from the troubles of your life. It's about getting you back in the right place, getting you your inheritance back. So redeem is to buy back. The second thing that redeem means is to change for the better. So what is redemption? It's changing for the better. So this is what I love about God. He doesn't want to just get you out of the sin and leave you all messed up and bruised and hurting from the past. But he wants to heal you and deliver you. And we'll talk about this more next week with cup two. But he wants to restore you and make you more valuable than you were in the first place. My wife loves this uh, hardware store uh, the, the, or this furniture store. And it's called Restoration Hardware. Is that right? And they, and they take old pieces of junk and they restore them and make furniture out of them. And they literally want to charge you your firstborn kid to purchase it. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, it's great furniture, but you're like, man, that stuff is expensive. Why? Because it's worth more restored than it ever was in the first place. Here's what God wants to do for you in this cup. He wants to change you for the better. Not just get you back to even, but He wants to change you for the better. The third definition of, of redemption is simply that it's to restore. It's putting you back to the place that you were supposed to be. Re remember, they were slaves. They were making bricks for Pharaoh. And, and God said this, I don't want to just get you out of there, but you, you, I want to restore you. You weren't, you weren't, I didn't design you. I didn't call you to make bricks for Pharaoh, but I called you to live in, in, the, in the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, a, a land with grapes the size of a man's head. That, that's where he called them to live. 
He said, I want to restore you back to the place that I had for you. So it's about restoring who we are inside, changing us for the better, but it's also about getting us back in the right place, getting us right back in the will of God that he had, restoring us there. So, so that's redemption. Um, how does he redeem us? How does he redeem us? Well, the Bible gives us two ways that he redeems us. God says, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. With an outstretched arm. I love this because Second uh, Samuel chapter 22, verse 36 says that, that your help has made me grace. Depending on which scrolls you're studying from and the version that you're reading, uh, he, he says, you stoop down to make me great. Uh, Austin, jump up here. Let me help me real fast. Stand right here. Now I want you to get a picture. Th- this is God. Okay, we found ourselves away from God. With well, you can face me, and and we're struggling. We've got problems, and we've made mistakes, and we found ourselves away from God, looking up at Him in heaven. And God, in all of His glory and His perfection, He's not sitting up here looking down at us, saying, "I told you not to do that." I told you if you do that, it was going to go wrong, but you wouldn't listen. No, so you can just stay down there and you can just flounder around in your mess. But that's not what God does. Here's, here's what the Bible says. You stoop down to make us great. God, he, he gets off of his throne. He gets out of that high place where we could never reach. And he reaches down to us. And he, I'm going to pull you up, ready? And he lifts us up to make us great. And, and this reflects the heart of God. He's not leaving us down in there saying, I told you so all day. But he's stooping down. He is humbling himself to come down to our level to lift us up back to to bring us up out of our stuff. And that's the heart of God. So he says, when I redeemed you with an outstretched arm, he's reaching to where you are. You don't have to be perfect and then God's going to redeem you. He reaches out to you. He stretches to you. Say, well, I'm too far. No, no, no. God's got go-go gadget arms and he can reach far enough to get you. I love this about God. Thank you. You did a fine job. The second thing he does is he redeems us with mighty acts of judgment. Now, this one's a little nervous. I mean, none of us like to be judged, but I don't know about you, but I really don't want to be judged by God. You know what I mean? Like, I, like God knows all my stuff. He knows the good, the bad. He knows my heart. Even, even when I don't even know my heart, He knows my motives, even when I'm not even sure. He knows everything. I'm not sure I want God to judge me because I'm confident He could find something wrong. But here's the good news. He's not talking about judging you. He's talking about judging your enemies on your behalf. God is fighting for us pushing back the darkness. What's the next word? Lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is what God is doing. He is redeeming us by working on our behalf. He's pushing back the hands of the enemy. I want you to look at this verse with me. Well, first look, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. And this is the chapter uh, where Paul is talking about the whole armor of God and, you know, the, the helmet of salvation and all that stuff. Here's what he says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, here's what I want you to know. The devil is making plans to stop you. 
God has plans for you. I know the plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But just as God has plans for your life, and just as you have plans for your life, the devil has plans for your life. If any of you were here on Sunday night when Bishop Tudor was with us, he, he talked about the five different wills, and one of them is the will of, of the enemy, the will of the devil. He has a will, a plan for your life. He wants to mess you up. He is scheming to mess up your life. You know, the devil isn't just walking along through the world and sees you down and out and says, oh, this is an easy opportunity to capitalize. Now, he will. Remember, he, he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If, if a lion sees somebody weak, he's going to take them out. But that's not all he's doing. He goes on the hunt. They make a plan. They hunt as a team. And, and, and the, those lionesses, they come after their prey. And, and the devil does the same thing. He is scheming to get you. He's working with his legion of demons to get you. Paul says in another verse, in, in uh, Thessalonians, First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse eighteen. Watch what Paul says. We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan stopped it. We were trying to. Our will, our plan was to come to you, but we couldn't get there because Satan stopped us. He he hindered us. Now this word hindered uh, in the Greek. It's a very important word. I can't exactly say it. Uh, there you go. You can read it. Egg kato. <laughs> uh, but here's what it means. To hinder means to... Guys, if you can stay with me. To hinder means that um, to impede one's way by cutting off his course. Literally, the word was used uh, when you would be traveling. Remember, we, they didn't have beautiful paved highways with buckies on the side of the road like we do. Can I get an amen for buckies? <laughs> and so they're literally walking through the mountains or through the wilderness to get from city to city or place to place. And so what robbers would do is they would go to the road and they would cut ditches in the middle of the road where you're coming along and suddenly you come on this ditch and you can't go to the left and you can't go to the right and you are stuck and now they can pick you off. When you kept moving, you had a chance to get through. But if they could stop you or ambush you, they could take you out. And Paul chose this word and he said, this is, this is what the devil has been doing to us. We were trying to get to you, but he's been he's been putting a ditch or cutting a ditch in our way so that we can't even get through. I don't know if you've ever been in the place in your life when you feel like the devil just keeps cutting off your way. You get going and, and things are going well and you're moving, but then he just stops and, and there's a problem, there's a person, there's an issue, there's this or there's that, and you're not making any progress in your life. Not because you aren't trying hard and not doing anything is right, but just the devil keeps hindering you. 
keeps hindering you. This is part of his plan. But God says, I will redeem you with mighty acts of judgment. He's going to work on your behalf. The diversions in your life, they can make us nearsighted. They can make us short-sighted to the point of being blind to the big picture of God's redemptive plan. We can get so focused on the problems, the ditch that's right in front of us that we forget what God has already done and it derails us from his perfect will in our life. If the devil can't keep you out of heaven, then at least he'd like you to be ineffective along the way. But we have this great promise, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, reading in the New Living. Uh, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down but we are not destroyed. If you're going through a time in your life and you feel like, man, the devil is hindering me and he's stopping me and I can't make any progress and there's a problem here and you're you're getting diverted away from God's will for your life to the problems right in front of you, here's a great promise for you. You may be hunted down, but you have not been abandoned. You may be knocked down, but you have not been destroyed. God is about to redeem you with mighty acts of judgment. We've got to realize this great promise of Scripture and recognize what the enemy is doing in our life. And then we focus on uh, a few verses down in, in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things, we'll, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen. This, what are you focused on? What are you focused on? What the devil's trying to do is put so many things in your way to hinder you that you get your eyes off of what God's trying to do. You get your eyes off of his will, his plan, his purpose, and you get short-sighted and nearsighted, and then you get stuck. Do you remember when you were learning to drive? Maybe it was a long time ago. I learned from a guy named Homie, no joke. Uh, my, my driver's ed teacher was a guy named Homie uh, Washington. And uh, he was like 6'10", former football player, uh, NFL football player. His name was Homie Washington. And, uh, and he taught me to drive. And maybe this is not right. I sometimes question everything he taught me. But he, 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 he said that, Randon, when you're driving, if you're looking right in front of the car, first off, you can never stay between the lines. And secondly, you're going to end up hitting something because you don't have enough time to react and to go where you're going to miss your exits, you're going to hit other people if you're looking right in front of your front bumper. He said, what you want to do is you want to look way into the future. And if you'll keep looking way ahead, you'll, you'll drive straighter, you'll get there, you won't miss your exits, you'll be able to dodge any problems coming your way. He said, but you've got to keep your eyes looking up front. Don't look right down in front of the car. Did anybody else learn that or am I, am I way off here? Huh? Same thing is true in life. This is what Paul is saying. Don't get short-sighted about what's going on right in front of you. But keep your eyes looking at where God is taking you. Keep your eyes focused on His will. Even if it is unseen, know that his, He's got a good and a perfect plan for your life.
I want to read 2 Peter uh, to you again, but I want to read it uh, beginning in verse 3 from the Message Bible. Watch this with me. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. I love this. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turn your back on a world corrupted by lust. Great promises. They're your ticket to to a life with God. So, don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding... Alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, uh, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. Now, notice here. Peter's saying, he got you out, cup one. He delivered you, cup two. But then, what we want to do is we want to build onto our basic faith. In this, we see uh, cup three at work. We see cup three. We're going to build onto it. And you're going to add these qualities. Now, here's what he says. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master, Jesus. Without these qualities. You can't see what's right before you, oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped wiped off the books. What we see here, cup three, the cup of redemption, we see restoration. But the cup of redemption is about discipleship. It's about growth. It's about adding to what God gave you. Notice, God gave, but then we add two. We add these qualities. We become more like God. We become more like Jesus. It's the, drinking the cup of redemption is about discipleship. Are you growing as a disciple? Build on what you've been given. Mature in your experience. It's about learning how to be a disciple, a son. Getting back to living where and how we were designed to live restoration remember god's trying to restore us to the way things were originally not how they were in the old testament not how you used to be but he's trying to get us back to the way we were when he first created adam and eve in the garden where the bible says that he walked with them in the cool of the day that's where he's trying to get us back to Discipleship, though, is, mo- is more than just learning about Scripture. It's more than just a seminary degree. There's more to it than that. It's about discovering and developing the reason why we're, we were created and then living that out. Discipleship is about applying what you are learning. If these qualities are yours and are increasing They keep you from being ineffective or fruitful. If you are growing in your discipleship, in your walk with God, it keeps you from being ineffective or unfruitful. So discipleship is about learning how to live like Jesus. Uh, We are made in His image. The disciples took on His yoke or His way. They lived life the way He lived it, like Jesus lived it. 
Uh, discipleship is, is about learning how to live with Jesus. Learning how to live with Jesus. You know what disciples soon realized in their time with Jesus? Is that there were some great days. There were some days when they were singing Jesus' praises and they were trying to make him king and they were talking about who was going to be the number two, who was going to be the vice president, who was going to be the general, and who was going to be the secretary of state in Jesus' new kingdom. But there were other days when they were wanting to kill him and Jesus was having to run out and hide from them. Living with Jesus is about the big times, but it's also about the difficult times. Discipleship is about learning how to live for Jesus. What I love about Jesus was he didn't he didn't send the disciples to seminary and say now when you get back and you're fully educated and you've got a, a two-year degree and a four-year degree and you've been you've spent six years uh, learning about ministry and but he said then you can come back and serve me no 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 he put them right into ministry he picked them up on the beach and took them right to church and put them right got them right involved in in serving with Jesus they, they had to learn to live for Jesus. And then it's about learning how to live in Jesus. He said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who live in me while I live in them will produce a lot of fruit, but you can't produce anything without me. We're, we have to get grafted into the vine. We've got to get grafted into the body of Jesus. So how do we drink the cup of redemption? First of all, it's about discipleship. How do we do that at Triumph Church? Uh, we do that through an intentional growth track an opportunity for you to learn and grow. You know, last week we talked about the cup of sanctification and how our Sunday morning services, uh, our, our number one objective, though we have many, the number one objective is to create an atmosphere where people can drink from the cup of redemption, uh, the cup of sanctification, and they can find salvation. But then we want you to drink of the cup of redemption as well. There's an intentional growth track. This cup is about restoring you to who God intended you to be. This cup is about restoring you to the place uh, that God intended you to be. And, and, and we do that through growth track. Growth track happens tonight, and I want to challenge you to be there. If you're not a member or you've been thinking about a mem- becoming a member, maybe you're a guest with us today. Come to growth track tonight. We'll feed you dinner. We'll talk to you about the church. We'll talk to you about your walk with God. Uh, we'll talk to you about who you are, discovering your gifts. And in our first section, it's about discovering your church and your walk with God. In our second section, it's about discovering your gifts, what God has given you. And thirdly, it's about discovering your place. This is the process of restoration, what God wants to do in our life. If you haven't signed up, make sure you go to the connection desk on the way out and get signed up for Growth Track. I want to see you there tonight, 530, right here in the cafe. It's going to be a great time. But everyone needs to drink of this cup. And one of the primary ways is through Growth Track. Now, uh, I'm going to move a little quicker now because I want to make sure we have time to take communion together. Psalm 126, verse 1. Psalm 126 and 1. This is a song of the ascents. And, and this is when they got together, before, right before they drank the cup, they would read this verse of Scripture. Now remember I told you the cup of redemption is about restoration. And they would read this passage. Here's what it says. When the Lord restored, there's that word restored, restoration, the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, 
bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is what they read. They read a psalm about the restoring power of God. Here's what they said. God, when you restored us, we were laughing. There was joy. We were happy. So God, restore us again. For our weeping, for our sorrow, for our tears, Father, bring joy and bring laughter and bring happiness. You know, this is my prayer for you. That not only would God restore you to your place and restore you to who He's called you to be, but in that, you would find joy and you would find happiness and you would find laughter. That the atmosphere of your home would change. If it's been an atmosphere of despair, if it's been an atmosphere of struggle, if it's been an atmosphere of trials and, and, and difficulty, shouting and anger and worry and strife, As you drink this cup, I declare over your life that the restoring power of God, the redeeming power of God would take all that and exchange it with joy. Now, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, speaking of Jesus now, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, notice, after they had eaten, so this is the cup right after dinner, this is cup number three, he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This specific cup, when we take communion together, this is the cup that Paul teaches us, that Jesus teaches us, that He wants us to drink up together. You see, it's not just about salvation, and it's not just about deliverance, but His whole plan is about restoring His covenant with us. The cup of redemption is about restoring our covenant with God. It's not just about forgiving us of sins. It's not just about getting and dealing with our problems But it's about restoring the relationship. You know, Jesus did all this not uh, not just so that we could go to church, but so that we could have a relationship with Him. He wants to restore our covenant. Remember, remember that to redeem is to change for the better. He said this is the cup of the new covenant. We see this in Matthew 26. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's the cup of the new covenant. Here's what Jesus said. I'm going to restore you to a better covenant. I'm going to redeem you to a better covenant. The Old Testament covenant, it was flawed. It didn't work. It was based off you doing the right things. But this new covenant, it's just based off of a relationship with me. I did the work. You just have to say yes to me. The second thing about this cup was this was the cup both then and now that is used as a marriage covenant. The cup of redemption is a marriage covenant. If I do your wedding, or if you come to a wedding that I do, most every time, we're going to take communion together. Why? Because this was a traditional, it was the cup 
of a marriage covenant. So I want you to get a picture. Husband being married to a wife, joining together in covenant. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to drink this cup with me. Because I want to get into covenant with my bride. The church is Jesus' bride. You and I are the bride of Christ. It's very difficult to drink of the third cup if, you don't, if you're not a part of a great church. Because it's a marriage covenant. And here's what Jesus said. I want everybody to be a part of this covenant with me. I want you to be a part of my bride. I want you to get and be a part of the church. So when I talk about growth track, it's not just about restoring you to your place and understanding your gifts, but it's about getting you in as a part of the bride of Christ so that you too can drink freely from the cup of redemption. You should have seen, received uh, the communion elements when you came in. We're going to take communion together with this understanding in mind that he, he wants to redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. He wants to be in covenant with you again. If you did not receive that, if you just slip up your hands, our ushers want to help you. They want to get to you as quickly as they can. Just stand with me when you have your elements. And after they had eaten dinner, Jesus lifted the bread. He broke it. This is my body which is broken for you. Jesus, as we partake of it now, we remember your body, your sacrifice. Eat it now in remembrance of him. And then he lifted the cup, the cup of redemption, the cup of restoration, the cup that brings us into a new covenant. Jesus, we're so thankful to you. You didn't just bring us into any old covenant, but you brought us into a better covenant. You did all the work. You want to restore us. You want to restore relationship with us. You want to bring us back to the place that we were called to be, the people we were called to be. You want to restore us, make us of more value than we ever were in the first place. You're redeeming us with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I thank you for the cup. Drink it now in remembrance of him. Let's worship for just a moment. Uh, with Christ, I say, Lord. 
partners to come if you're in that place and you feel like the the devil's been hindering you and he's been blocking you and he's been stopping your path and you need God to redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment we want to pray with you today we want to ask that God would come through on your behalf that he would move things and shift things and cause things to happen to get you to his perfect will Whatever your need is today, we want to pray with you. I know that God wants to touch you. We're going to open these altars and continue to worship. Come let us pray with you. Our host will be back in just a moment.